You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Good evening, good evening. Thank you so much for joining me. Again, I am your host, Prophetess Marie Elizabeth, and you are listening to the Manifesting God podcast. I so appreciate you all on this Monday evening. We're getting started with our work week, and sometimes it can be a struggle, and sometimes it's a struggle just to get through the week. But I thank God that God has kept us. He keeps us through every trial, every tribulation, things that we have seen, danger seen and unseen. God has kept us. And guess what? We need to know that we're all in before we even know what we're all into. We need to trust God. We need to trust God. Now let's go over the first Kings chapter 18. And I am going to start at verse Five. At verse five, we see a task that is being assigned to Obadiah, the believer. And this task is one that will sustain natural life in the midst of a famine. Verse chapter 18, verse five of first Kings, it says, Ahab, we're talking about King Ahab, said to Obadiah, who was his palace administrator, he said, go through the land to all the springs, go through all the valleys, go through everything. Maybe, just maybe, we can find some grass and to keep the horses and the mules alive so we will not have to kill our our animals because they were in the middle of a famine. Verse six says, so they divided the land they were to cover. Ahab went in one direction and Obadiah went in another direction. Now verse seven tells us as Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him. He bowed down to the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord, Elijah? Now remember verse three tells us, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator, but it also tells us there that Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. So he recognized God's people. He recognized the power of God's people and in God's people. We're going to verse eight. Yes, he replied. This is Elijah replying to Obadiah. He said, go tell your master. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. Uh-oh, now we have an issue. Why is Elijah there? Why is this man of God come into the place of a famine? A famine now, he had already cut off the rain until he said so, now he's back. Why is Obadiah back? He is back to announce rain is coming. He's back to announce that in this place of barrenness, in this place of barrenness in Samaria, rain is now coming. Verse one tells us that after a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord, it came to Elijah and God told Elijah that he wanted him to go to King Ahab and he wanted him to present himself to Ahab in that place in that place of famine, in that place of severe famine, in that place of lack. So why was the rain coming to Samaria, the place of the unjust, 
King Ahab, and where he led his people to, the place of the unrighteous King Ahab, and the place where he led his people to. See, in Matthew 5, 43, it says, you have heard that it was said that you shall love your neighbor, right? Fellow man and hate the enemy. Verse 44, it says, but I say unto you that love is unselfishly seeking the best or higher good for your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere. Verse 45 says, so that you may show yourselves to be the children of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on those who are evil and even those who are good and makes the rain. He makes the rain fall on the righteous. Remember, Elijah is there for the announcement of rain, for the announcement of rain. And the scriptures are telling us here in Matthew 5 and 43, that even in this unjust place, that God will make his rain fall on the unjust as well as the just, the righteous as well as the righteous. Verse 45 tells us in Matthew 5 and 43, his son rises on those who are evil and on those who are good. And he makes the rain to fall on the righteous, those who are morally upright and unrighteous, the unrepentant, those who oppose him, even those who oppose him. But the issue has come. An issue has come now that Obadiah is being invited into the task that was assigned Elijah. Obadiah, now, remember, Obadiah has already told, the scriptures have already told us that he has served the Lord God since his youth. He has served him. He fears the Lord God. But when he's invited to participate in the task that was assigned Elijah, what is his response? Verse 9 tells us this, verse 9 in 1 Kings 18. It says, this is Obadiah's response. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were there, Elijah, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now, but now after my master has been looking for you, after my master has been looking for you, you're telling me to go to him and tell him Elijah is here. That's what you want me to tell him. He said, I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. He tells him in verse 12, if I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he's going to kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshiped the Lord since my youth. He is being invited to participate in the task that God has assigned Elijah. And his response is, are you trying to kill me that you would have me go tell Obadiah who's been looking for you, been looking for you, that you are here when we all know when we all know the spirit of the Lord could carry you away to a place that I won't be able to find you, then he'll kill me. Then he'll kill me as if I lied to him. You're setting me up to be killed. 
Obadiah is invited to participate in what God has called Elijah to do just, just by simply being a messenger. And he is like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to tell him that. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And see, verse three in that same chapter, it tells us that, you know, when Ahab called him, him being the governor of his house, it was not unusual for Obadiah to take instructions from King Ahab. This was not unusual. It was not unusual for him to see all that King Ahab had done, all that King Ahab had done, whether right or or wrong, in this case, wrong, misleading the people away from the principles of God. But in that moment, in that moment, Obadiah's fear shifted. He became one that feared his master rather than fearing the Lord. In a brief moment, in a brief moment, it transferred, his fear transferred from fearing the Lord, a spiritual king, to King Ahab, a natural king. His fear shifted. And I say in this moment, because it doesn't stay there. His fear does not stay there. Ultimately, yes, he does follow Elijah's instruction. Ultimately, yes, he does participate. But in that moment, his fear shifted. How many moments can you think back on and it might not be so far away or so hard to conceive. We're in that moment when instructed of what God, when invited to participate in what God was doing and what God was saying, did your fear shift from the Lord to the situation, to the circumstances, to the possible outcome where you might be the one whose life becomes endangered. How many times has your life actually shifted in a moment and shifted back? See, we need to examine, we want to examine these moments. It is these moments that we want to talk about today because some of us are stuck in that moment, in that time of fear. And we won't move forward. We have allowed our reverence of the king of the king, the perceived natural king, to hold us paralyzed in a moment of fear where we can't move forward and we're not necessarily moving backwards, but we're actually not moving at all. We're not progressing at all. We're not contributing at all. We're not a part of what God is doing at all. We are literally suspended in time. We are in a place where we're around what God is doing. Obadiah was standing right next to Elijah. He wasn't near King, uh, King Ahab. But in that moment, in the face of the assignment, the face of the assignment, we're talking about a man of God who literally in that moment, the moment stood still. The moment stood still and fear held him captive. His fear and ad admiration and love for God shifted and he forgot all of that. And in that moment, fear held him captive. Fear held him captive. How many of you today under the sound of my voice is allowing fear to hold you in a moment in time, in a place where God has given you his assignment, but you can't seem to perform it. 
because you're surrounded in a place of fear. You're in a place of fear. You're, you might be fear of being accepted by friends, former friends, because they're now former friends. It might be a place where you're fearing disobeying a, a, a king, a leader. You're fearing disobeying a direct order from you're fearing telling, telling someone that you believe may be in a higher place than you, what you believe God is actually saying. What you believe God is actually saying to them and for them. So you hold yourself, you hold yourself in that place of fear. In that moment, you, the moment, the moment, it's the moment that has held you captive. And that moment is, is, uh, is, is imprisoned by fear. That moment is imprisoned by fear, not the fear of God, the admonition, the respect of God, but in fear of man. So because you're in that place of fear, rain, rain can't come to, to that place where the righteous may dwell near the unrighteous. So the righteous cannot get a refreshing because you're captivated in a moment of fear. See, the instructions have not been have not been spoken yet by Obadiah to his king. Those instructions had not yet been given to tell him that the man of God is here for you. The man of God is seeking you now. And the man of God has a word for you now. It's all suspended in that moment. In that moment where Obadiah reaches to explain who he is, Obadiah reaches to try and make Elijah understand the, the, the consequences, the consequences of him following through on those instructions. How many of us, when given instructions by God, turn back around and begin to offer God as if God didn't know, begin to offer God the consequences, the possible consequences of us obeying his instruction? We're suspended in a moment in time, and that moment is imprisoned by fear while we begin to plead our case to God and explain to him the consequences of carrying out his instruction, the consequences of doing as he has told us and trusted us to do, the consequences of our life our natural short-lived life. We begin to explain to him the consequences of losing the, the, the temporary for the eternal. We begin to explain that to him. And it makes so much sense in that moment that is imprisoned by fear. Some of us are at a standstill. We're in the house of God. We're in the house of God. And we're still, we're still suspended in that moment, imprisoned by fear. We know that that is no longer the place for us. We know we are no longer comfortable for, for with that. We know we are no longer comfortable with the lit religious practices of it. But in that moment... In that moment, we are imprisoned by fear. 
and we think only of our temporal natural life and losing that. And in the moment that seems so much more important than the eternal life that Christ offers, the eternal security that Christ offers. It's as if that eternal security cannot save us from this temporary, this temporary place of suffering or proposed suffering or magnified suffering that we've made it out to be in our mind because we are we are suspended in a moment uh-huh suspended in that moment imprisoned by our own fear a fear that has been redirected from an eternal god to a temporal man a temporal man see i'm 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 digging this in because we need to consider this because we let me tell you the deception today is to think that you are operating in the things of God and that you are moving forward in what God has called you to do when in fact everything is moving around you because it's moving past you but you are still are still imprisoned in that moment of time by fear and an internal an internal external fear not an eternal fear not the fear of the lord god not the reverence of the lord god but fear of man and what man can do to you see look look here and in, in um in first kings i think right first kings 18 and chapter and um verse 13 obadiah begins to plead his case he begins to plead his case. He's telling Elijah, haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each. Oh, we get specific, 50 in each. And I supplied them with food and water. And now, verse 14, he says again, you are telling me to go to my master, wrong master, sir. You're telling me to go to my master. No, your master, the Lord God, has need that you follow Elijah's instructions and do as he has called you to do. See, in that moment of fear, who our masters start, we start getting confused. We start getting confused as to who our leaders are. We start getting confused as who as to who is directing us. We start getting confused as to what God we actually serve. So now the same man who loved the Lord God with all of his heart is now pleading to Elijah, you want me to go to my master? And Elijah is like, I want you to do what God is instructing you to do through me. Your master is supposed to be God. But he here, when you start worrying about the temporal things, you see how his master shifted. His master was no longer the Lord God. His master was now King Elijah. See, in the, in the temporal, when you step into that temporal place and into that moment where you are imprisoned by fear and you're not, your fear is not that of admonition to the Lord God, but fear of man, then your God changes. Then your master changes. You start receiving different instructions and those instructions are around preserving yourself. 
Those instructions are around preserving your own views. Your, those instructions are around preserving your own life. Those instructions are around preserving what's important to you, what's relevant to you, what will keep you your masters begin to change. And he says in verse 14, and now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, Elijah said, he had to snap him back. Elijah said, as the Lord almighty lives, whom I serve, he had to make it individual. He couldn't include Obadiah in that moment. He had to remind Obadiah not only who he was, but the God that he served as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve. Not you, apparently in this moment, but I serve. I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Why? Because I'm following the instructions of the Almighty God of the almighty God. So at this point, Obadiah, it says in verse 16, he went to meet Ahab and he told Ahab as he meant to, as he went to meet him, that Elijah wants to see you. Elijah wants to see you. And so in that, in that moment, when he went to follow the instructions, when he went to follow the instructions of Elijah, when he, Obadiah, went and followed the instructions of Elijah, the fear began to switch and it reverted back to the Lord God because he started moving. He was fearful, but he started walking. He was scared, but he started walking. He was fearful for his life, but he started walking to the point that by the time he got to King Ahab, he was able to tell him, Elijah is here to see you. The man of God is here to see you. No more fear of what um, a King Ahab would do to him. See, you getting delivered from that place, from that moment, from that moment, it requires that you move. You have to move. You have to make the choice. You're going to trust God and you just have to move. And I promise you, by the time you get to that destination, you will speak the confident message that God has given you, instructed through you. You will speak it with power and you will speak it with authority. But you've got to move. You've got to move. You've got to move. You've got to move. You can't stay in this place allowing fear to imprison you. It is a fear that is encompassed only your mind. It is a fear that has imprisoned only your feet. Once you make up your mind and you just simply start moving, I'm telling you today, if you just take one step, one step, when we as kids, we used to sing a song, one foot in front of the other. If you just put one foot in front of the other and just start walking, I promise you, you will get to your destination and you will do what God has assigned to your hand because between the place of fear and the place of freedom is liberty. Between the place of fear and the place of, of freedom is liberty. But you must walk and move and liberty consumes you as you go. 
It consumes you as you go. So we didn't hear Obadiah went and delivered the message. He did as Elijah had assigned to his hand. Now I got to shift gears a little bit. And when we get to verse 17, we see that Elijah is talking to King Ahab. He, Ahab comes and he meets him. But then when he saw Elijah, when King Ahab saw Elijah in verse 17, he said to him, ignorantly so, disrespectfully so, is that you, you troubler of Israel? He calls Elijah a troubler of Israel. And when in fact, he himself is the one that God has the problem with. How do we know this? Because Elijah responds back, I haven't made any trouble of um in Israel, in verse 18, he said, but you and your father's family has, see, this is a generational thing. You and your father's family have, you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed Baal's commands. So you're trying to flip it. Let me explain something to you. One of the reasons why a lot of times we find ourselves as, Ob as Obadiah did in a moment suspended, in a moment suspended by fear. The reason sometimes we find ourselves there is because we allow, we allow others to flip the script on us. We allow them to make us the troublemaker. We allow them to make us the problem. And when we allow them to do that, we don't understand their words are suspending us in a moment in time and imprisoning us with fear. So we don't want to go forth and prophesy because we believe that it's not going to be received. We're going to be perceived as trouble. We don't want to go and speak with thus says the Lord because we're going to be perceived as a problem. We don't want to go do what God is calling us to do because we don't want to be the, uh, the outcast of the crowd. We don't want to be the outcast. We don't want to be labeled the troublemaker. We don't want to be labeled the one that's turning everything upside down. We don't want to be labeled that. But can I tell you that this is a this is a means of holding you back. This is a means of imprisoning you. This is a means of suspending you in one moment so that you won't go forward. This is a means of keeping you from walking forward. But you have to be bold enough to call them out and say, I've never made any trouble for you. It's you and your father's father that have been the trouble for God. That's why I'm standing here. Flip it back. We have to learn to open our mouths and decree and declare what God is showing us. When I look at this scripture and Elijah came right back at him, he said, I have not made any trouble for Israel, but it's you and your father's family that have caused the people of God to abandon the Lord's command. Listen, if I'm a prophetess, if I'm in the house and you're telling me that all I do is bring trouble, bring trouble, I'm going to make it clear to you. I'm not bringing trouble. I'm here because you you're the trouble. You're the trouble that God has sent me to solution. You're the trouble that God has sent me to command. You're the trouble that God has sent me to shut down. You're the trouble. You're the trouble. You're the trouble. And you got to speak it quickly, swiftly, and with power. And with power, we're letting people, we're letting un the unrighteous tell us who we are we're letting the people who abandon God's principles tell us who we are. Have we forgotten who our master is? So we're making them our master now. You get to dictate my identity. So no, I'm no longer prophetess. I'm troublemaker. 
I'm no longer the one that speaks to oracles of God, but I make troubles in lands because I told you the truth. No, you're the trouble. No, you're the trouble because you caused the people of God to abandon the Lord's commands. You caused the people to God of God to follow after gods that they make with their own hands. You caused the people of God to worship a God that they create in their own minds. You caused the people of God to sway away from the promises of God, from their destiny and their purpose. And you're a manipulator. And you're a manipulator. So here we have a king who has led the people away from the Lord's commands. And Obadiah, his palace administrator, is more fearful in this case of following the one who submits to God's command, Elijah, than to the one who submits to God himself. He's following the wrong God. It is absolutely true. Listen, Obadiah was right. It's absolutely true that history has proven that for King Ahab, at least, uh, Elijah is not easily found. He was not easily found. So it was true. What Obadiah was saying, it was true. But see, the thing is, when when I saw that, you have to think, why? Why would? Why is not a man of God not able to be found by a man that is not of God? What would a man that is not of God have to talk about with a man that is of God? or a woman that is of God. What do we have to talk about? What conversations can we exchange? All you're going to hear me say is your trouble and I've come to to resolve God's trouble. All you're going to hear me say is your trouble. You've abandoned the Lord's commands. I came to reinstitute God's commands and save God's people. All you're going to hear me say is you are trouble. You are causing the people to follow gods that they make with their own hands, create with their own minds, fasten with their own fingers. That's all. So what do we really have to talk about? What do we have to talk about? So it's very, it's a very real thing that, of course, King Ahab, when he would be looking for Elijah, why would he find him? What would they even have to talk about? And you wouldn't want, and he wouldn't want to hear anything that he would have to say anyway. Anyway, there is nothing that Elijah would have to say that King Ahab would want to hear anyway. So then Elijah did just as any prophet or prophetess would do. It's challenge time. It's showdown time. Trying this time to show you whose God is God. Verse 19, it says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah and eat that eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Isn't that something that Elijah tells Ahab what to do? He doesn't even believe God, doesn't even trust God, but I bet you he got those people up to Mount Carmel. Got him up there real quick. But then Obadiah, who believes God and trusts God, hesitated because he was concerned for his life because King Ahab was indeed the king and he was a manipulative, wanted to put fear in the people of God type of king. But guess what? That same king became humble under the words of Elijah. When Elijah told him to gather those prophets together and have him meet, have them meet him on Mount Carmel, they did exactly what Elijah told him to do. And then uh, what King Ahab told him to do at Elijah's command. Then verse 21 says, Elijah went before the people and he said, how long? 
How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Get this. But the people said nothing. But the people said nothing. Elijah asked for their choice, but they said nothing. This is an example of being trapped in a moment of fear, a moment of fear, imprisoned, imprisoned by that moment, imprisoned in that moment. You're imprisoned. He's in, they're imprisoned. They said nothing. You created the gods with your own hands. You created the gods with your own minds and you're being called on the carpet and you have nothing to say. You have nothing to say. It's no different when um, Elijah was being called a troubler of Israel and he defended himself. And when we're called out of our names and made to seem as if we're the problem, we are as these people are. And when it's showdown time, when it's time to prove that God is indeed God, we say nothing. We say nothing. We won't open our mouths. We're stuttering, we're hemming, and we're hauling, and we can't defend what we believe in that moment, in that moment, because we're entrapped. We're imprisoned by fear. We don't know what the outcome is going to be on the other side, and we need to know what that outcome is going to be because we must protect ourselves at all costs. We must protect ourselves. We must, we must preserve ourselves. But in fact, we are saying nothing. We are saying nothing. And the enemy is running rampant with prophets that are assigned to false gods, with prophets and prophetess that are assigned to gods that we have created with our own mind. We've created them with our own mind. And when it's time, when it's time to defend the Lord Jesus Christ, we got nothing. We got nothing. We got nothing. See, see, it comes up, it comes a point in time where we could no longer halt between two opinions. We can no longer allow ourselves to be trapped and paralyzed in a moment. It was meant to be a moment. I'm not saying you cannot have those moments. What I'm saying is make up your mind to keep moving and the moments will become fewer and fewer, less and less. We must make up our minds to move forward and what God has called us to. We must not allow ourselves to be entrapped with words, with words, unknown words, even unknown words that make us, that we feel as though make us outcast, that we feel as though put us on the outside. Listen, we serve in an eternal God. Why are we trying so hard to preserve what is not eternal? Why are we trying so hard to preserve our name? Why are we trying so hard to preserve our religious practices? Why are we trying so hard to preserve those that don't even love us, don't even want us around? Why are we trying so hard to preserve those relationships? 
When God has an eternal relationship for us, he has promises for us. Listen, if you're if you don't if you do not know Christ and you have no desire to know Christ, why is that? The question is being posed to you today. Why? Why is that? How how good are you doing now? How well are you doing now? How fulfilled is your life now? Where exactly is your eternal promise at today? What is it that you have today that you're trying so hard to hold on to that you refuse to even give God a try? That you refuse to let go of what seems familiar and important to you that that doesn't even that can't even save your soul. What why are you holding on to that man? He's cheating on you anyway. Why do you insist on those drugs? They're deteriorating your mind anyway. Why do you insist on that girlfriend? She doesn't like you like that anyway. Why do you insist on hanging around those family members? They don't want you around anyway. They're wondering why you keep showing up. What is our problem? Okay, here it is. What is our problem that we want the love of what doesn't love us and who doesn't love us? We will happily throw away those that love us and care for us and want the best for us. Just we could, if we could just win one person that said they hated us, if we could just win that one, we'll throw everybody else away. Because we always seem to be drawn to what doesn't want us. We always want what doesn't want us. We're always chasing after what's not chasing after us. How about if we flip that script and start running towards a God that's running towards us? How about we flip that and start caring about a God and his and his love for us that cares about us in return, that wants to get that already died so that we can have eternal life, so that all he already died so that we so that he alone could supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. He already died just so that we could maybe possibly believe that he did just for us. Just for us. I'm telling you that anything that you're holding on to this world in this world, anything that you hold dear, that you just love so much in this world, it's going to pass away. It's going to pass away. And here you are sacrificing everything that you have and everything that you are just to chase after and run after what doesn't even want you. How about we change directions and run toward the God that actually wants us and that actually wants to receive us and that actually wants us to be a part of his eternal, his eternal promises. It, it just it just never fails. I see it every day. I see it in the workplace. People want things. They want things that don't want them. And they're so and they treat everybody that that wants the best for them. They treat them like crap. But just to get that one thing that still doesn't want them, just to get that one person, just to still get the attention of that one manager or that that one director that you, you will walk all over it. Everybody, all your peers, all your co-workers, just to be accepted by that manager who has no desire to promote you, no desire to move you forward. They're going to walk off any minute now to their next promotion. And they're not taking you with them because you were never a part of their plan anyway. And it's, it's the same in our church today. We have people that, that 
that say they love you, say they want you, and they 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 love you, they want to be around you, they care about you. You push them aside for the for the people that don't want you. If you could just for the people that don't want you to love you, those are the people you run after. Listen, you're running back into these sanctuaries to be with people that don't care for you, leaders included, that don't even want you there. Don't even want you there. It's killing them every Sunday, every time you walk in the door to even be kind to you because they don't like you. And then you have ma'am or sir lead them across the way that loves you, wants to receive you, wants to make you a part of their vision, but you don't want that. You don't want that. You're too busy chasing after what don't want you and who don't want you. Can we, can we, can we at least pause for a moment and examine ourselves and, and make sure that we're actually in the faith or are we trapped in a moment and imprisoned by fear? Could it be? Could it be? You think you're moving forward? No, that's everyone around you. You, ma'am, sir, are standing still in a moment, trapped, imprisoned by fear. That's you. They're running by you. You ever been on the escalator? And if you're if you're going upstairs and if you're walking up the stairs and people going up the escalator, well, it appears that everything is moving. I forget, I forget what that is. I don't know if it's the escalator. It appears that everything is moving around you, but it's not. It's not. It's the other people. They're moving around you. You're not going anywhere. You're standing still. You ever had that feeling? You ever you ever felt that before where you're standing still and someone may be moving around you and it seems like the room is moving or it seems like you're moving. But the truth of the matter is you're standing still. That's a lot of us today. We think we're moving. We think we're going somewhere when the truth of the matter is we haven't moved an inch. We haven't moved an inch. We're looking at the people around us. They're the ones moving. We're looking at the people around us. They're the ones doing the will of the Lord. We look at the people around us. They're the ones that are living in the promises of God and moving in the promises of God. And we're literally just hanging around. We're just hanging around because we haven't choose to. We haven't chosen to move. We haven't chosen, as I said earlier, to put one foot in front of the other and literally begin to move in what God has called us to do. Today is that time to make to make that choice. To make that choice. See, Obadiah had a moment. He had a moment, but he was able to move past that moment. But there are many here, as we, if we were to go through this story, there are many here that were, the Bible says, but the people said nothing. So that's plural. When they were met with the challenge of living between the two opinions, like literally trying to survive between the two opinions, whether it would be God or whether it could be man. They couldn't think of anything to say. They said nothing. These were people. These were at least 450 prophets of Baal and at least 400 prophets of Asherah. There were at least, so that means there were at least what, 850 prophets there. And then there were, he sent word all throughout Israel. So there had to be other people there too. And nobody said nothing. Nobody could defend what they believe. No one could hold their hand up and say, I'm Elijah, sir. I want to be on the Lord's side. Nobody could rescue. Nobody could move forward from that place. They were all paralyzed with fear. See, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand that I understand fear is a very real thing. 
I've felt it before in my life. I've let it hold me back before in my life. I've let it hold me back in the sense that I was afraid of what other people would say, how other people would respond to me. I wouldn't, so I wouldn't say anything. And then sometimes I experienced things and I didn't want to say anything the second time or the third time. It took a while for me to get to the point that I, to understand that it's okay to be fearful, but do it afraid. Just move afraid. By the time you get to your destination, that fear won't be on you any longer. But I had to keep walking through it to prove to myself and understand myself that that fear will drop off if I start moving in the promises of God. I had to figure that out myself by moving and moving with the fear myself. Sometimes you have to move with the fear. And trust that by the time you get to your destination, by the time you get to that point in time, that things are going to turn around and that fear won't be there. And there have been times when I've had to operate over and over again with the fear and do what God told me to do, scared. Do it afraid. Do it, do it fearful that the next person was going to open up their mouth and tell me that I didn't actually just say anything and nothing I said was worth it or call me a name or call me an outcast or call, or call me a troublemaker. I've been all those things, but I kept moving in God. Our job is to keep moving in God. Our job is to know that God, he will vindicate us. We don't have to fight those battles. We don't have to do things. We don't have to, listen, don't move in God because you got to prove a point to someone that God can use you to. That's not how you move in God. You just simply are moving in God at his instructions. You do what God tells you to do, then go have a seat until he tells you to do the next thing. You do the next thing God tells you to do, go have a seat until he tells you to do the next thing. Go do the next thing, then still go have a seat. All the talking in between, God don't need it. He don't need it. He don't want it. He don't want none of that. All he wants you to do is do as he asks. Follow his instructions. Follow his instructions. He's calling you to a place where he where he can use you for his glory with no fear. But to get there, you got to get moving. You got to get moving. You got to get moving. I'm not talking about the people around you. I'm talking about you. I'm talking to you. If you're under the sound of my voice, God is talking to you. You, ma'am. You, sir, must get about your father's business. You've got work to do. No more hanging around, no more, no more looking around wondering when it's going to be your turn. Ma'am, sir, it's your turn right now. It's your turn right now. Time for you to move from that paralyzing place of fear. And it's time for you to walk through your liberty to your freedom. Walk through your liberty to your freedom. God is calling you right now. Father God, in the name of Jesus, Let's pray. We hear you calling us. We hear you calling us right now. We hear you calling us right now. I'm speaking to the unsaved. Say it with me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I hear you calling me right now. I will. I will do your perfect will. I will follow your instruction. I will do as you commanded. Why? Because you're my master. You're my savior. You're repeating after me. You're my deliverer. You're my strong tower. I run to you and I am safe. I run to you and you cover me. I run to you and you protect me. Therefore, I have nothing to 
fear. You are a God who has died for my sins. You sent Jesus to die for my sins. And I receive that gift. I receive the gift of salvation from you today, Lord God. And I thank you. I thank you for considering me before I even considered myself. And I ask you, God, to strengthen me. I ask you, God, to strengthen me. Come on, you're repeating after me. Unsaved, you're repeating after me because you're in the kingdom of God now. I, I thank you, God, that you thought about me when I didn't even think about me. So because you thought of me when I didn't think about me, that means you have me in your heart. You have me in your heart and you will protect me. You will shield me from the enemy and you will cause me to walk in your purpose. I thank you, God, for choosing these people of God. I thank you for calling them out of the caves and out of the way places, out of the out of the dirty places, calling them out of the uninhabitable places into the inhabitable places. I thank you, oh God. I thank you, oh God, that you're calling them into your internal and eternal place, God. I thank you, oh God, that you are now, you are now cleansing them of filthiness of the flesh and filthiness of the spirit. And I thank you, oh God, that you have made a way just for them. I thank you, oh God, that you called them according to your purpose and that every word spoken on today was to deliver them from that place of paralyzing fear and that place, God, that will hold them captive to the enemy's command and to the master of this world's command that you have now translated them, God, over into your kingdom. You've translated them over into your will, into your purpose, and you're giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit that they may be taught and instructed of your ways. And I thank you, God, that you're promising never to leave them and never to forsake them. And you will cleanse them, God, and cause them to walk worthy of the vocation wherein they are called. We give you glory, God, and we give you honor and we give you praise. And we thank you, God, for saving your people. We thank you for calling them out today. We thank you, oh God. We thank you, oh God, for calling them out today from amongst the world. We thank you, oh God, for calling them to you, calling them to you and you now hold their hand. I put your hand in their hand. I put their hand in your hand in the name of Jesus. And I seal it today. The blood of Jesus seals it today. And I thank you, oh God, for saving your people. It's in Jesus name I pray. It's in Jesus' name I pray. I thank you. I thank you, oh God. And I thank you all so much for joining me on today. May God bless you and may God keep you. And know something, that if you're under the sound of my voice, that I indeed am praying for you and your family. And to all my new converts today that are under the sound of my voice, I'm praying for you. God is going to keep you and God is going to bless you. And we will meet one day and you will tell me that on this day, I, I became God's. I became God's called child. And I am walking in his purpose today. God loves you. God loves you. And God will keep you. You are in my prayers. God bless you. And I'll see you on next Monday.